Coming directly from the horseshoe crab capital of the world. Get a leg up and get ready for the hydrant. And now, a man who loves the smell of rental bowling shoes. Your host, Jim Cooper. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the hydrant. With me this week is Deb Monroe. And you know who Deb is. And I, why do I have to go through all the credits? You know, she, she's an actor that's been doing this for 25 years, and she does everything. I mean, TV, radio, theater, voiceovers, on-camera work, coaching, hosting, voice, life coaching. Keeps going. She's been doing this a while. She, like many of us, when first got into this business, had to figure out how to break those broadcasting and theater habits that I spent some time trying to figure out how to get rid of as well she's done thousands of commercials narrations ivr stuff she does a lot of kids animation and the juxtaposition of her gigs just makes me chuckle because she's got you know a lot of the cartoons benjamin blue mcchen from benjamin the elephant dragon ball and dragon ball z and you know busy town mysteries and then it goes to the top 10 sexiest men countdown so it's like you decide where she sits on the spectrum because it's 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 wild. Uh, she's been doing a lot of coaching. She holds workshops. She produced a voiceover cruise, which must have been an administrative nightmare. Uh, and she's done demos. So, but in all that, she's half the Get Mike team with the shy retiring Ellie Ray. So you know her from that as well. So anyway, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Jim. It's my pleasure to be here. Such a nice introduction. <laughs> and well, the introduction will be available in the lobby after we're, we're finished here. <laughs> How did you and Ellie Ray hook up? Oh, actually, that's a wonderful story because we have a mutual student who's since passed, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was working with him virtually, just when virtual was just kind of starting, really, uh, he was in Toronto here and was already working with Ellie. And Ellie had him at playgrounds, literally going on the seesaw, trying to just loosen him up because he was very stiff. He was medical narration. And that's really where he he specialized quite a bit. But Ellie broke a lot of his, those little habits. And he said, you know, I, I really need you to meet my other coach. I just think you guys will hit it off great. And we did. And when we met, we were at a convention and she was volunteering to sit there and audition like whoever wanted to come. And that was to me, hundreds of wow. people. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, wow, this is crazy. Do you need help? She goes, yeah, I'd love some. So I went and I helped her. And then there was one particular individual there who we ended up life coaching for an hour and a half after it was all over. Wow. And we recognized that we had something. You know, I like to look at Ellie Ray as the wild child. She's crazy. She's out there. She's insane. And I found I find some of her stuff just like she, her creativity is beyond anyone's I've ever seen ever, ever. And so I find I'm her voice of reason. <laughs> I come in and explain it all. So it makes God sense. God bless you. God bless you. Cause we need that. Because I get lost. I'm like, if I was a talent right there, I wouldn't know what the hell she just said. So I, I feel like we're a good yin yang. I'm very business minded. I always have been. I love business to be honest. I actually love business. I love what I do in voice acting. And I'm just grateful that someone is willing to pay me to talk and, we just found we were a good balance together. You know, she needs someone who's more business minded. She wasn't even on the internet when I met her. And I was like, oh, well, you should be doing this and this. You should have an assistant. She didn't even have an assistant. And I just didn't know how she kept up. 
And it just kind of launched from there. And, you know, as much as you mentioned that cruise that I hosted many years ago, right after Bob Bergen had done his very first cruise. Um, and then I brought Bob in on one that that mm. I, I produced. Uh, honestly, this newest venture that Ellie and I are put together, the ultimate VO survivor is way more work than that cruise ever was. <laughs> and I did the cruise by myself pretty much, except Brad Venable was my actual right-hand man mm. at that time. Again, another loss in our industry. Mm. Um, and so him and I kind of put that all together and poor Brad, he couldn't get his passport done on time for whatever reason, put all this work into it and then didn't, he wasn't couldn't even go. able to join oh, the cruise. So man. It was very unfortunate that time, but uh, Ellie and I have since put together, get miked because she doesn't want to run workshops by herself. I love running workshops. I think it's a lot of fun. And so we just kind of started with that. But we have a, a lot of big things in store that uh, we're, we're trying to work on because we're both working towards retirement. Um, and, you know, it's hard for both of us. Neither of us really want to, but we do. And so we're hoping that Get Mike can be our legacy that we get to leave behind. The first time I met Ellie Ray in person, we had talked a couple times, but, and I was sitting waiting for her and she, and she finally came downstairs and I said, oh, there she is. And she looked at me and go, what, am I arrested? I'm like, no. <laughs> so the wild she, child. <laughs> she is a force of nature. There is a no force question. of nature. No one is like Ellie Ray. I, I like to word her as for, for us older folks, uh, Lucille Ball meets Carol Burnett, kind of all combined. You know, and that's just an Ellie Ray, really is. <laughs> that's that's a good combination. I like that description. That's pretty good. So, was there a point in time when the light went on and ping? Oh, I'm going to do acting and voice acting for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, um, I was an only child, and so I, I actually didn't have cousins, nobody around. My mom worked full time, so she wasn't home till five or six every day. So I watched a lot of TV. I loved TV. And I always said, I need to be in it. I just need to be in the TV. Mm. And then I became a young mom at the age of 16, 17, pregnant 16, had my baby just when I turned 17. And I realized I needed to get a real job. <laughs> Acting wasn't going to be something that was going to pay me as a single mom to take yeah. care of my baby. And my mom saw a broadcasting course. And I thought, oh, I, you know, I never thought of that. So the goal at that point was to be basically an on-air talent. But what I actually fell in love with, with was the commercials. I love mm. commercials. I, I'm a really rare entity. I love commercials. I think they're amazing little mini stories, little mini movies. <laughs> and I am, I am in always in awe, including of myself, of what you can create in 30 seconds. And so as an on-air talent, you are forced to do X amount of commercials at the end of your shift. And so you hear a lot of old school radio on the, on the radio still today, because it's a lot of people at the end of the shift that have to rip and read and get this done. So they can get the hell home. Whereas I, that was my favorite part of the day. Uh, back in the nineties, when I was on air, there was no such thing as internet. At least it was just birthing. Um, there was a, a phone, but it was for swap and shop. There was four white walls, in my opinion, put me in a straight jacket. I didn't know if anybody was laughing at my jokes. I didn't have any feedback. So I hated it. I actually didn't like it. But I was trained. And at that time, I thought it was the quickie course, but it turned out to be a good course compared to some of the other courses that are out there. <laughs> and so flash forward, some time goes by. I, I lost my job as an on-air. I swore on the air. 
And uh, I was obviously not doing as great as I would have liked to because I had my babysitter didn't show up. I had to bring my daughter into the studio twice. I mean, it was just a nightmare. So I lost my job. I was actually let go. And when I moved away to a very small town in rural Saskatchewan in Canada here, just as small town as you can get, um, I started hitting up the local radio stations for commercials. And then I realized I could freelance doing commercials a little bit. Pay was absolute crap. But then when the internet happened, my ex-husband at the time, his work forced him to be on computers. So I got introduced to computers as soon as they became a thing, as soon as they became right. a household thing. And so I was very blessed because that got me into uh, finding someone who was doing voiceover online. At the time, though, I wish I would have kept this guy's information. He told me it was $10,000 for his studio setup and that he was the only guy online doing it, which... I just kind of don't think so. Anyway, so I learned that I could be doing this online. So I went to go do a new demo reel. And and when he didn't put it on tape, I was all messed up. I mean, what do you mean it's not on tape? And he's like, no, no, it's on this digital form. And I'm, it just messed me right up. And so that became the birthing of as soon as I could figure out how to, I got my own studio and I started working from home. And I think that's where I have always specialized. I love the fact that I get to work at home. I'm very driven. So follow through is easy for me. I love working in my jammies. I really, really do. I mean that. Um, and I don't have to go drive an hour into a studio. Right. Don't have to pay for parking. Don't have to do anything. So I, I really worked hard at working from home. So I actually didn't get to do as much animation and video game as I would have wanted to, but I was in a medium market at the time and I was able to work from home. So I just loved working from home. It wasn't right. until about eight years ago that I moved here to Toronto to, um, you know, maybe look at that in a little different way and maybe join the union finally. But I stayed non-union my whole career. And I like that because it gives me control. I really was raising a baby off this income. And so I had to be in control of my income. I couldn't rely right. on anybody else but myself. And I'm right. a business person. I know how to find my own work and be aggressive in it. And it's funny because, you know, as you were talking, I, you and I, from a radio standpoint, have pretty much the exact same experience because I came through radio and was on the air, but I always somehow managed to weasel my way into being production manager so I could spend most of the time in the production studio, either writing commercials, recording commercials, producing, um, uh, producing all the um, giveaways and, and, and contests singers, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, just doing all that stuff. And I agree with you. I love that piece of it. I thought it was, I thought that was so much fun. So I, I, I like the idea saying. of reading someone's script and making it sound like if it, as if it was mine. I think that's a really fun challenge. And right. I, I'm production, I was really blessed that in school they taught us production and demos. So I got to learn demos. I'm really trained in demos. I'm not just like, okay, I do demos. I, I'm actually trained in that. But I didn't want to engineer. I never, ever did. I still don't. But I'm in a band as well, which is a weird shift in my world. Um, and my now husband is a guitarist. I didn't want to be a band wife. True, true story. Um, and so now that I'm in the band, I'm doing all our engineering. So as much as I ran away from it my whole career, here I am stuck engineering anyway. <laughs> what do you do in the band? Uh, I'm the lead singer and we actually have originals. We have some stuff on Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. We're called bootlegged L E G G E D. Um, got a really cool music video. At, I'm a little scantily clad for the industry who knows me as this wholesome person. I'm not. Uh, well, at least is the that, video that, shows that shot on IMDB that, that looks like you're a skank walking the streets. Yeah, probably. That's the <laughs> one. <laughs> okay. I put that on IMDB. Actually. I, was, I was looking at those going, Oh yeah, these are good. I was like, what the hell is that for? <laughs> I remember when I when I sent James Allberger my music video. So again, everybody knows me as this 
fun-loving energizer bunny who I think comes across somewhat wholesome anyway. And then I no. joined this rock band, a heavy no. rock band. No, let, let's heavy drop, band. let's drop the whole wholesome <laughs> okay, thing because now. we let's all know it. better. <laughs> and so I, um, I, I sent him my video and he responded with nothing but this. Debbie, I didn't know this side of you. Okay. And I kind of just didn't think about what I was showing my, my dear mentor who loved, respected and admired me and went, Oh, okay. Didn't know I was going to see you in shorts and a straight jacket. Okay. <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun though. I, I've got to say that I didn't realize being in a band would kind of feed my soul because I actually wanted to be Canada's Oprah. I've always wanted to be a talk show host. That was my absolute goal, but I've had my taste of fame at cons and things like that mm. for, especially for Dragon Ball and other things that I've done. And I don't enjoy fame. Actually. I thought I would. I thought that's all I ever wanted to be famous. I think what most actors really want is to be admired for their work or appreciated, I think is a better word. And so I wanted to be a talk show host, but because I recognize what fame can do to a family, I didn't want to do that to my now husband. I right. think that they wouldn't have enjoyed it. So I backed out of that dream and the band kind of gives me it a little bit because I'm, I'm not even on the stage three quarters of the time I'm in the audience. I'm all about people. I love people. I just love people. And so I work, I work very hard to be with every single person in the audience at one point throughout the night. And so I feel that I get this permission slip to go and talk to them about anything I want, ask them mm -hmm. any question I want. And I'm not considered weird or odd because I have this persona of being band. Band. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I get my little taste of what I really wanted in that. So it, it's kind of weird how that shifted in, but it really did. I was supposed to be just playing around the campfire. <laughs> it just turned into whatever the heck it is now. I don't know. You know, I'm a, I'm a drummer and it's been a, a awesome. while since I've played with a band and I loved playing out, you know, when I was in, Oh God, there was just no bigger rush. It did feed my soul. And I got a chance to play with some really talented local people and uh, it just, you know, I even got a chance to play at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is awesome. Big, yeah, was so much fun. So, um, yeah, we're, we're just our little local like we have 150,000 yeah. people in our city, but we own the whole strip. In the 80s, you were never allowed to play in a competitive bar. We play in every single bar and are very sought after, which makes me very happy. And everybody talks about our performance. Our band is very good. I don't mean to take away from our musicians, but we perform. We, we are a very high energy, very audience involved band. And I think that's what people love so much about us is that we're just so involved with the audience. It's and their show. It's not our show. It's their and, show. And your success is, you know, does the, the venue get to pay the bar tab and if it's if they can cover their bar tab you know yeah, yeah come on back bring, well, bring i get a, a new pair of, of shoes people. we're called bootlegged so that i could afford a new pair of shoes because that's pretty much what gigs pay is a new pair of shoes each gig. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, oh my god wow that's 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 awesome let me ask you some of these ridiculous questions and see where this takes us because i got a hunch this is going to take us to some pretty bizarre places and just because you are who you are, I've I've picked a bunch of different questions that I usually don't ask other people. So oh, awesome. If you were a guy for a day, what's the first thing you would do? You know, I'm actually kind of an interesting person to ask that for because I believe in 100 percent equality. Like I don't believe in that any I don't believe in a hierarchy in any way, shape or form. Okay. What I do believe is that men have a lot more physical strength than women have 
typically, I'm not saying in all, but typically. So that's the only difference I feel with men. I think, I think men are nowadays are getting better because I teach a lot of men and I have to teach anyone 40 and up. How do we emote? Cause men mm. our age and up don't weren't taught emotion. You were taught to hide it and suppress it. So I think I would, I know it sounds really crazy, but I think I would just stay in touch with my emotions and learn that equality. But I, I think I would lift things because <laughs> I just think men lift. I mean, I'm in there. I, I hold all, all our guys, um, amps. I carry them myself. I carry our monitors. I'm, I'm a tough girl, but there's, I know my limit. And so I love what I love the most about men is their strength. Their strength to me is what really makes them more men or masculine versus the feminine. And so I work hard to be tough. I work hard to be one of the guys. And I think all the guys treat me as such. So I, you know, it's, it's a tough question in some ways, cause I don't know, except for strength. That's the only thing that comes to mind because I really see us in equal plane. And in my marriage, for example, um, I don't love dishes. I, I don't love cleaning. I love cooking. My, my, my voice handle is VO chef Deb mm -hmm. for a reason. I love cooking. I love entertaining. My husband does all the dishes. He washes the floors. I do all the dusting, but I also help with all the blue duties outside. So we have a very beautiful, amazing, balanced relationship that works very equal. I believe in equality, 100%. The blue duties? Yeah, blue duties and pink duties. So typically, oh, okay. you know, pink <laughs> duties like, are the girl cooks and cleans and does the guy does the outside fun stuff. Or yeah, if, in the Flintstones term, he goes and has fun and does grand poobah while we clean and, and spend credit cards. Right. You know, right. I just wasn't sure where you're going with that, but I get it. It's okay. Even everything down to our household, everything is split 50, 50, everything. We do everything in a 50% thing because, uh, you know, I grew up in a, my mom wasn't treated so well by men and I, I feel she stayed because of finances. And so I swore I'd never be in that position. So right. I raised myself at all times. What is something you are obsessed with? Um, creation. I'm absolutely obsessed with creating things and kids. I'm really obsessed with kids. I really, when there's a kid in the room, I, I don't care where I am. I have to go be with them. I just love children and I just love the art of creation. I just love creating anything, whether it's artwork on my Photoshop, whether it's my hobbies. I have a ton of hobbies. I paint, um, I do scrapbooking, I do drawing, I do everything I possibly can. I just, I just never have time for it, but I love creating. So everything I do in my world, even in voice acting as a coach specifically more so, I love the creation of, of creating demos. I love the idea of creating an entity. I love branding people. Oh my God. It's like become my favorite thing to do. I think I'm really good at it. If I can toot my horn, I think I'm quick on it. And I know what it takes to brand a personality because we're not selling our voices. We're selling our personalities. So creation, right. I think, and kids. Hey, when you first answered that, I, the, the two senses kind of went in together in my head and I thought she's obsessed with creating kids and I'm like yeah no mm -hmm. I'm done with that now okay. <laughs> but I do have four grandkids so they'll keep me going <laughs> cool <laughs> what song should play every time you walk into a room uh, actually an original uh, we have an original that I think is the best song for anybody anybody I think in the world should love this song if you're against swearing you should still listen to this song and it's called just a word and it's all about swears there's swears throughout it there was an old song done depending on where you are you might not know the song called the rodeo song back in the day and it, it's full of swears and it was never allowed to be aired it had beeps everywhere right. whereas now that's changed a lot but I believe swear is a teaching tool 
Uh, I think people look at words as the word, but it's really not about the word. It's about the hidden intention behind it. So the whole song was written with that in mind. It swears throughout, but that's the purpose is to show you, you know, it's just a word. It's, it's how you bring it to life and what you really mean when you say hello, when you say F off, when you say any of the things you say, it's that hidden intention that becomes paramount. So that really is what, what I feel is just my heart. I, I just really do. I feel it's my heart. But if I was to pick a song that wasn't my own and I and I normally wouldn't have picked my own but I love that song I can't tell you how much I love that song <laughs> just a word by bootlegged it, I, I think crazy bitch <laughs> would be my other song it's one that we do and I relate well to it and I seem to perform it well so I think I think I marry it <laughs> okay so all of that leads very naturally into the next question what's your favorite curse word well I probably use the f-bomb a lot a lot for a girl, especially like I, I, I swear a lot. I think my husband is to blame for a lot of that. I mean, I think I've always been a swearer. However, I swear a lot more, I think, having met my husband because we just, we just don't, it just doesn't offend us. The word just doesn't offend us. Now, if we're using it in a derogatory way, that then that changes, obviously. And I, and it probably wouldn't be my, my go-to swear, but it, unfortunately it really is. I think it's because it's so risque and I'm a risque kind of gal. <laughs> And versatile. I mean, it was Jen Henry that, that told me that you can have an entire conversation with just that word because it, 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 it's it's just so versatile to use. Again, it's all about the intention, right? Absolutely. It's just the intention that you're using. You can change it to be a happy thing, a sad thing, a mean thing, a, a playful thing, a sexual thing, whichever way you want to go. Are your feet the same size? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have a bunion. I'm old now. So I've got a stupid <laughs> bunion. So, yeah. and, and I wear heels at all the gigs and I dance in them like crazy. I'm a very high wow. energy performer. And so certain heels I can't wear just because of that stupid lump on my, on the side of my foot. That, that always astounds me, you know, and particularly if I look at, you know, an older musical from, you know, the forties or whatever, or, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and he gets to do his stuff in flats and she's got to wear heels to do that. I mean, that's just not fair in my mug. It's just like, wait a minute, give this woman a break. Will you please? It blows so, me away what some women can do in heels. Like just walking in them alone is, is crazy. But the fact that we can dance and play and, you know, go to town, like now that I'm a little older and it's three hours, I mean, we play one hour sets, so we do right. a very long set. One of the reasons the band agreed to it, it's not the best band name, but it was the one everybody could agree to. It gives me an excuse to literally buy a new pair of shoes, but wear different shoes throughout the gig. So it becomes a bit of a shtick for us as well. So I, I change it up so that it, so it, you it adds for comfort. So you change for each set for each set. Well, just, usually cool. two sets I'll go with the big heels, and then the last set I'll find some really good flats. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get through the big – because our third set gets very aggressive. We do like Rage Against the Machine. We do crazy, insane cool. – really big rock bands, heavy rock bands and stuff towards our third set. So I want to be able to to mosh with the rest of them because they're all moshing around me. So I might as well join in. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I love it. I'm going to go listen to some of your stuff. Yeah, now. you have to. It's, we, I think we've got a really good band. We've got some really great originals and I, I'm, I'm really proud of us. It's, you know, it's hard to do anything with it at this age, but some of our band members are from the eighties. So I'm hoping with some of my radio contacts that I can get us some airplay so that they can have that one hit that they always wanted. And I can leave that with them. Cause for me, I, I don't care. I wouldn't be in the band if it wasn't for my husband, but I do love what I get out of it. I really do. But I like voicing the most. 
And all the bands I played with, we did all originals. I got, you know, be able to get up with some very talented songwriters. And that was, awesome. you know, it's, it's a bigger struggle to drag people in when you're doing all originals as opposed to cover bands. But yeah, of course, I always thought that was great because you got to, you got to really churn out the song and play with it and, you know, mold it however it needed to yeah. be. And that yeah. was always cool. Yeah, I lo I love um I like mixing it up. I'm I'm because of my DJ experience, I didn't realize my on-air experience would really come in handy. Uh number one, I choose our set lists, but I choose it according to what I know our audience is going to be at whatever venue we're at. And mm -hmm. I take great pride in that and I mix all our originals in so that we don't lose everybody, but it gets us a chance to kind of just here's a little splash of us. Here's a little splash of us, right. but here's your popular stuff that you're more used to. And it keeps everybody quite engaged. And the, just a word song. I have a lot of the audience sing the parts. So the chorus goes, shut up, sit down, screw you. So everybody has to sing that. And then I do the, the counteract to it. So it's, it's really quite fun. It's very interactive. That's cool. I love that. <laughs> That's cool. What breed of dog would you be? Oh, I'd be a chow chow. It's my favorite breed of dog, period. And I have one and I love Chow Chows. I have a pug as well, but I don't want to be a pug. But you know what's funny you say that? Because my only nickname as a child, my mom's ex-boyfriend named me Peaky. After a Pekingese dog, because my nose was squished in. So he called me Pekingese dog. You know, I'm not really nice in the end. So no, I, wouldn't I still take that relate as a better compliment. to a Chow Chow. Chow Chow has beautiful fur and they just are just cuddly and loving. And I just love them. <laughs> If you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? Mm, rainbow. <laughs> I, ha I mean, I don't even eat rainbow, but I'd have to be rainbow. I, I would have to be rainbow. I'm a chocolate chip mint fan. However, that's not in my personality. It would have to be a rainbow. <laughs> so chocolate chip rainbow. mint is the most popular answer to that question. It's just, I love chocolate chip mint, but I'm not a chocolate chip mint. I, that's not my personality at all. No, you, you would know? be like a... a a Rocky Road tin yeah, pan Sunday with Rainbow. all that stuff Mix in it. And just, yeah. <laughs> Mix them all together and then yep. that's me. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> Who would play you in a movie about your life? Well, I'd like Jennifer Aniston too or Valerie Bertinelli because I think there's something about those women that I either feel I look like or gravitate to. So Jennifer Aniston, not I don't look exactly like her, I wish. However, there are certain features about her and I have a friend who knows her well and she phoned me when she was having lunch with her and she goes, Debbie, you're so right. So she said she felt she was sitting with me at the table. So <laughs> I just feel that they we have similar personalities. Uh, the two of them, Valerie Bertinelli, I think I kind of look like. And then um, Jennifer Aniston is personality thing as well. I've been trying to get Valerie Bertinelli to do this. I've been, I've been uh, I would love it because, you know, I've, and I think it's, it's an Oedipal thing because when she did one day at a time as a kid, her character's name was Barbara Cooper. That was my mom's name. So it's uh, just, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's kismic. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> <I> get it. <laughs> but uh, no, she's been my celebrity crush for ages. I so just I, love Valerie. Um, I just love her personality. You yeah, know, I, I love friendly people. I, I, I can't stress enough. I love people. So I just love when I see people that seem very friendly and happy and, you know, there's bad things all over the place. You can see them as sure. much as you want, but I like seeing all the great and just kind of bypassing that bad because why dwell on what's negative? You know, right. I love positive energy. Okay. Uh, let's do an either or thing. I'll give you two things and you tell me what your preference is. Sure. Pineapple pizza or candy corn? Pineapple pizza. Toilet paper over or under? Oh, over. 100%. No question. 
In fact, if I do it wrong, my husband will change it anyway. And I'm an over person. Just sometimes you can mess up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> summer or winter? Oh, summer. Eggs, omelet or scrambled? Ooh. Well, Ew. probably none of the above, but I would go with the omelet with lots of cheese. You're not an egg <laughs> Nothing person. else. I just don't. I eat eggs. I just don't love them. There's just nothing that I love about them. And I and I I do try to be somewhat health conscious. So I eat eggs because we do carb on, carb off. Right. So one day is carb on, one day is carb off. So I eat eggs every other day. But it's because it's just part of the routine, not because I love them. You Poach eat them as would a- be my choice, actually. Poach would be my first okay. choice. Yeah. You eat them as a carb or a protein? As a, well, on our no carb day, we eat them uh, as our breakfasts. So I boil egg and then we have it on just a piece of ham or something. So there's no right. breads or, okay. or potatoes or anything like that. Passenger or driver? <laughs> well, in my marriage, I'm, I'm the passenger because my husband's a pilot. So he oh, wow. needs to drive. Like he yeah. just needs to. It, it's just his thing. But I am normally the driver. I love driving. I absolutely love driving. And I'm, I'm an aggressive driver, but a Gee, what a surprise. aggressive driver. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my share. <laughs> my favorite story was actually, I'll say it as briefly as I can, but I, I, I've experienced road rage in my world. And I had a little old lady literally riding on the hood of my car in the West Edmonton Mall parking lot over a parking spot. That's how insane it has been. Not that way anymore, just saying, but it literally happened. I wish it was on camera because craziest story of my entire life was that one. <laughs> I, I live with a woman who who we were driving into Manhattan and going up 10th Avenue. And so, I forget what someone did, but she's like opening up the window and screaming at people in Manhattan. I was like, you are going to get us shot. Will you please stop that? That, you know, that, that one incident and one more that I had was enough to go, okay, I need to just not care so much, you know, right. because even if I feel I'm right, it it is, there is a, a rage that takes over. And I use the word road rage in a lot of other incidences where people just lose control because when you get to that place, you're not thinking, you're just not in your clear right. state of mind. And so I've worked very hard to just be patient now. Okay. If I'm late, I'm late. That's what's going to happen. You know, I just don't worry about how people drive. It's not none of my business. I just have to drive for me. And so I've, I've learned to be better at that <laughs> from a spirituality standpoint. And, you know, I don't care what anyone's spirituality is, but I always say, you know, my spirit will get me there when I need to be there. So I That's don't right. need to be in a Everything rush. Everything happens for a reason. You know, <clears throat> I used to save my road rage for the office and yeah, uh, exactly. my boss and things like that. It wasn't a smart move. I'll never forget one time I was asked to go in and voice, uh, replace the voice for the day for a TV station for the promo voice. And I was so excited, but I was late. And so I ran into the building. I'm already 15 minutes late. Now I can't breathe. So now they have to wait another five minutes for me to calm down. So I stopped because of that incident. I learned to just be patient. If I'm, if I'm late, do your best to call, do your best to do it, but just stay calm in it. And it's just is what it is. And the world does what it does. Right. Reese's cup or Skittles? Oh, Reese's cup all the way. I love Reese's cups. <laughs> Peanut butter girl for sure. I, I'm right there. <laughs> Which superpower would you rather have? The ability to move objects telekinetically or the ability to shift your shape? Hmm. Prob- probably shift my shape. Then I can get around more. Moving objects seems like, oh, whatever. What am I going to do with that? 
What am I going to do that? Hurt somebody? No, I don't want to do that. I think I'd rather just shift around and move around. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'd rather get into people's minds, though. That would be my ultimate power. My ultimate so the, the choice like, between telepathy and telekinesis, you would pick telepathy. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love um, how people's minds work. They're incredible. I don't know. I think I'd end <laughs> up on some tall building if I could read everybody's mind. Would you rather live in a haunted castle or an abandoned train station? Uh, an abandoned train station. I don't love being scared. I really don't. I don't think that's fun. I just don't think that's fun. My daughter so thinks it's really fun. So you're not a horror movie fanatic and yeah, me neither. So. No. And I'm the worst to watch them with because I've worked in the film industry. I, 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 I disappoint everybody. Okay. This is what's about to happen. Okay. Right. This is about what's happened now. I know before <laughs> it happens. So I ruined the scare for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while, but I got to tell you, we went and saw Avatar the other uh, the other week, mm -hmm. and we did the the in in our theater. There's chairs, so they move around, and there was one scary part. And we took a girl who who hasn't been to a movie in 20 years. <laughs> Imagine how overwhelming that would be. 3D, huge screen, chair that moves. So she's getting that 4D experience. Anyway, so there was a part that just made us all jump because the chair jumped with us. So it was I I got scared. I actually got scared for the first time in a long time. <laughs> On Avatar, of all things. We went to see in New York at Avery Fisher Hall. They were showing Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. And the New York Philharmonic was there live playing the oh, soundtrack, wow. which is just an incredible experience. Right into your heart. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a young woman sitting next to me in her 20s who had never seen the movie before. And I, was, and I got talking to her because there was an intermission. I got talking to her and I was like, Oh, this is wonderful for me getting to sit to someone who's never seen this before. It was it was great. She was so wonderful and jumped at the right times and it was perfect. Oh, so that's awesome. So, that makes the experience that yeah. much fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Would you rather have all traffic lights you approach be green or never have to stand in line again? Oh, all green. Yeah. I I I I've learned to be patient. Rage. Okay. But I like I like things when I want them hundred <laughs> percent. I know how to get what I want and get it. Like my husband always says long, hard way for him, but I, it, everything always works out for me. And it just really has my whole life. Everything just always works out for me. I'm very lucky that way. But I also believe in that whole, like in the secret, uh, one of the things that I really got out of that book or that movie was when you're approaching a red light, for example, or approaching a light, you, you have two ways to look at it. It's like, oh, I'm not going to make mm -hmm. it. I'm not going to make it. Or I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And I stay in that positive approach. I believe the cup is always half full. Would you rather have a car horn that plays YMCA or own a car with your favorite cartoon character painted on the side? Oh, well, hello. Cartoon character painted on the side. Is there any other option to that? There is not even a question on that one. I kind of figured that was going to be the answer. <laughs> and I'd love to draw and paint it myself, too. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. Would you rather have to eat only liver for the rest of your life or be forced to watch an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians every day? I don't I don't like eating the same thing that often, so I'd pick the Kardashians. I get I get, you know, my background music sometimes is the Real Housewives. So I just like it kind of going in the background because it's no brainer. You don't have to watch it. It's a it's funny as hell. 
but I actually, as dumb as it sounds, I learned about each of the cities. <laughs> so I learned not, not about the girls, but I actually learned like the, the Dubai one. I really learned a lot about Dubai, which was really kind of cool because it's a reality version of it versus some commercialized someone telling you about it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of controversy about what goes on in Dubai. So there's just little things like that. So I wouldn't mind the Kardashians, I don't think. Bless you. I know. <laughs> Would you rather be able to breathe underwater or fly? Oh, fly. I, I, I'm not, a, I don't like going underwater at all. I'm, I'm a little bit claustrophobic, a little bit. I, and I don't like getting my hair wet, you know, because then I have to rewash it and stuff. Okay. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one, but we'll go with it anyway. Would you rather have whatever you are thinking appear in a bubble above your head for everyone to read or have absolutely everything you do be live streamed for everyone to watch? You know, I actually think I do the live stream because I really feel like I love reality. I, I think reality teaches us so much. And so I have no problem with my voice bubble. I, I'm an open book. I'm as open book as it gets. I'm very forward. There isn't anything I wouldn't address, say, answer, respond. Um, those that know me as a coach, I'm I'm the Simon Cowell, but with tact. Because I, I really will tell you, I won't tell you I like something if I don't. It's as simple as that. So I believe in forward speaking. I believe the world would heal itself if it would be more that way. I really do. I think uh, I'm writing a book right now about the truth and teaching people how to tell the truth. And I think it would save our planet. And I, and I mean that wholeheartedly because I believe people don't know how to express truth because they do it with poor, poor taste, poor tact, without empathy. And I believe that people mask it. And I don't think that's healthy at all either. So, you know, if you say to me, do I like your hair? I'm going to tell you the truth. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to say, I think it's actually ugly. What I might say though, is it's not my favorite style. So don't ask me something if you don't want the honest truth, because I used to be a compulsive liar as a kid, hmm. compulsive liar. I just wanted attention, I think. And so I just wanted everybody to like me. I wanted to be very well liked. Mm. I worked really hard to be liked. And instead, I was not liked at all because I was trying so hard and I just didn't realize how obvious that was. And so after I had my baby at 17, I don't know what it was, but I just instantly went to never, ever telling a lie again. And so you know, I will hurt people's feelings. There's no question. I, I try very hard not to. I try to be very tactful. But as a coach, especially, I hated as a talent when I would go to a, a coach and they would sugarcoat it and tell me how good I did. That's not what I'm paying you for. Right. I'm paying you to tell me what's not working. So I am a brutal coach in that regard where I just get right to the point. That didn't, I, that didn't work for me. Just didn't work for me at all. So let's try it this way. But, but I always offer solution not just a, a negative critique. It's just here's solution to how you can maybe make that work. So for me, that live reality shows that that's our truth, you know, like, and it's, it's, I think a lot of us, if we could videotape ourselves and watch it back, I think we'd grow as human beings and we'd learn, Oh, Oh, I don't want to come across that way. Oh, I don't want to do that. So I just think it's very educational and I love education. Long before I got into voiceover, I went to a a voiceover thing in New York, uh, one of uh, one agent was holding something, you know, basically she was holding a, a workshop to see if she could find new people. Of course. Um, and there was like, you know, 30 people there and she, everyone got a script. And so, you know, everyone got up and read the thing and I got up and I read it and she's like, read that again. So I read it again and she's like, you're in radio, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. 
She's like, we don't want announcers. We want actors. Sit down. And I was like, oh. Wow. That's not and, right. And she was right. But, but her approach was so yeah. bristly and harsh that I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going back into voice work. And that was, it was 15 years before I got back into voice work again. So, and and that's not okay. That's where, again, you go to suppressing people's dreams. And just because you're, it's not working right now, doesn't mean there's not a solution to make it work. So I'm all about solution as much as I'm about being really right. honest, but I just believe if you're going to like, these are hard earned dollars. These people are paying us and we're not cheap. And so I don't want to waste, I'm, I'm so efficient that I don't want to waste one second of your time. I'm extremely right. efficient. So I am all about getting your money's worth as much as I can in that amount of time. Right. How can I be a best service? So again, I just, I just really believe this book I'm writing, I believe will change things if people read it, because what I do is I describe, okay, here's a scenario. Here's what people would think to say if they were telling the truth, but here's another way to, to word it because I've, I've done a lot of counseling in my life with my ex-husband and stuff, and I've learned how to communicate better and we're communicators for a living. Let's face it. So as a coach, I've learned how to be a life coach. I've learned how to do all that stuff and I have to do it in a way that brings them back, not scares them away. So I have to be very empathetic to their needs, but not in a place of dishonesty. That's all that I care about is that I'm hundred percent honest in it. And there's always always a way to tell your truth without being nasty and hurtful there's always a way you just have to want to want to think that way that's all and i don't want to go down this road because it's filled with landmines but that's one of the biggest problems in the united states right now particularly with our political environment is like everything is nasty and pointed and it's just there is very little empathy and compassion left in the way, not just politicians, but a everything. lot of everything they they approach things. And it's just yeah. like I think the world is absolutely full of judgment. And, and I think it's absolutely wrong because I think no one is entitled to be judgmental. Of course, a judge in a judge position, of course, in a business situation, I believe in hierarchy and business. I just don't believe it in, in reality of the world, the personal right. world, because I think that um, people want people to think their way and there's nothing wrong with the way I think, but that's not my place to make other people think that way. Everybody. And, and I guess that goes back to the branding thing because I love finding who they are and working with them. If I do a demo, I write copy with you. And the reason I have you write copy with me, I'm a great copywriter. I just... I want your personality. I'm not selling mine. And it's not my place to decide that that personality is wrong, right, or indifferent. And I think people are spending way too much time worrying about everybody else and what they're doing and not just dealing with them because I am the only one I answer to. And as much as we know that, we don't live that way. I don't judge. I, I don't. I, I You can do whatever you want. I don't judge. Even, even as far as a serial killer, I'm not going to judge them. I'm fascinated by why their mind works that way. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by their story of what got them there. And then it helps me understand that more, which again goes back to empathy. I am I've been told I'm a high empath, so I don't follow that. I don't study that, but that is, I believe me, I'm so empathetic, even the way I drive. I'd like to drive aggressive, but I'm thinking of everybody around me. Oh, he needs to move over. I'm going to help him. So I'm always helping. It's just part of my nature. So if people would learn to, like you, you, you drive by a homeless person, for example, and you're like, get a job. And, and, and right. I get it. I understand why people think that, but you don't know enough 
to make that assessment. You just don't know enough. So don't bother. Why are you wasting your breath on that? He's just homeless. Get over it. Let it go. It's not your world. It's not affecting you. It's not driving you. It's driving them individually. It's like they say when someone passes, and I think this is very paramount, when someone passes, as much as we're very hurt and affected by it, it, it didn't happen to us. It really didn't. Right. It happened to the person that passed. And that's the that's the whole you know, argument that, that always makes me crazy when I hear people talk about people that are impoverished or in poverty. And, you know, and it's like, well, they're just not trying hard enough or, you know, they need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. You can't say something like that because you have no idea what their life is like. You have no idea what their situation is like. And you yourself aren't in that situation. So how can you even say something like that? Well, and even if you're right in your assumption, which is an assumption, even if you're right in it, they don't have your brain to do it the way you're doing it. It's like, right. it's like students, when I get students and I'll say, what I notice the most for voice talent is they have the initial drive, but not follow through. I have right. follow through. That's why I can work at home. I have no problem with follow through. I, I have to prove a point. I'm a point prover. So I need to finish the task so I can prove the point that I was able to accomplish that. But that doesn't mean everybody thinks that way. So it's not my place to decide everybody should. It really isn't. Right. And if that works for you, awesome. And if it doesn't, awesome. Then that's that's what you need to deal with. Yeah. So And, you know, all these all these knuckleheads that are out there is like, oh, you can make extra money in voice acting. Yeah, I can get you there in three weeks. I'm like... No, <laughs> no, you can't. I'm sorry. That's a big no. Try six years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't. And even when I got into the business, people were telling me three years. And once I got to that three year mark, I was like, no, this, no. I try no. to never put a year on it at all. Like I will, I will start with six years. And the reason I do that is because I don't want to deflate the talent. I don't want them to think like right. what you were just saying that in three years I should expect this because now you're going to be let down if that doesn't happen. Some people can make it in the first year, extremely rare right. and some major contacts that made that happen, but it's a very rare occurrence. Most people, it takes absolutely years. It's no different than a college university education. It's the same exact principle. The, if you're going to charge $300 an hour, then you should have put in six years of college university to make that happen. That's the same thing here. If you want to charge what we charge, then you have to put in the time in order to make that a reality. It's just as simple as that. And that can education comes in many forms. It comes from hands-on doing things. It comes from coaching. Now I was blessed. Like I've been in the industry over 30 years. And so I was very blessed that I got in when it wasn't as competitive, when there wasn't many coaches out there yet, when it, you, you actually could just get in. But right. it doesn't happen anymore. That is not a reality. And that's a, a, a very big letdown if anybody thinks that's what it is. You know? the, the analogy I, I give to people is like, look, if you wrote a book, and I've written a book and had a book published, so I've got a little bit of experience on what kind of effort that takes. But if you wrote a book with the express thought that you're going to be the next Stephen King or J.K. Rowling on your first book, the chances of that happening are probably greater than being struck by lightning. Yeah. It's not going to work that way. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and it's like, it, there's nothing wrong with having that as a goal. Sure. Their goals are great. But what I always say is, okay, write out your goals for the year. And then next year at the end of the year, don't be mad at yourself that you didn't do it. Add it on to next year's goal. It doesn't matter if it took you 30 years to create that goal. As long as you follow through with that at some point, that's what makes it more realistic versus 
you know, don't dismiss the idea entirely because I'd like to do great. When I put something into something, it's going to be big. And, and I'm, that's just the way I do things. And I've been very blessed that things that I touch turn that way, but it only turns that way because of the massive amounts of hours that I put in to make it happen. And I think the world right. is in a very weird place where they, especially this younger generation, they, it's that push button generation, which was my favorite terminology for this generation, because they think at the push of a button, they should now have the kind of cars we drive, the kind of houses we own that have taken us 40 years to earn. And so they don't have that not all, but the work ethic is missing compared to what we were, where it takes time to get there and everybody wants everything at the push of a button now. And that's not the reality. It's just not. And that's that's only because that's the reality they've been force fed through the media and things like Absolutely. that. It's like, you know, these people are, you know, here we have this nice young couple in their twenties that are making, you know, $15 million a year and, and go on these $5,000 a day vacations. Like, that's not reality, boys and girls. That's called marketing. Yeah. It's just, you know, I don't want well, I and don't... technology. Technology yes. has made it so we think everything's instant, but it, it just isn't as instant as people think. Some things are instant now. There's there's no question. But what happens if that button breaks? You yeah. know, and, and people don't live in that button breaking. Well, you should. Like my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday where they're they're trying to auto, they're trying to have planes uh, uh, without pilots now. That's what their goal is. Uh -uh. Well, excuse me, what if autopilot kicks off? Because last night when he went to land and he's the captain, autopilot kicked off at, at uh, 500 feet. It kicked off. So he had to take over and had to do a redirect because he would have been off the runway. He would have been a, at a bad place because of the way it happened. So if there is not a pilot there, there is no backup system. And so it's it's the same thing here. As much as things can happen fast, if you haven't earned it, you're not going to appreciate it. It's like the lottery. When right. you win the lottery, they say you'll blow it because it wasn't an earned ship. And I believe that. I've not experienced it, but I truly believe that because I know I get to be proud of everything because of how hard I've worked at it. That's where the success comes in more than it was just easy and given to me. But what's scary is these young kids are so built into video games that they think that's going to be cool. Like they don't have our, again, no judgment to these kids because this is the society that they've been raised in. They know everything is like they want. I truly believe now I'm going quite controversial here, but I truly believe statistically speaking, all these shooters that are happening right now, the majority of them are 18 years old. Why is that? Because back in the past, they weren't 18 years old. They were disgruntled employees. There was some real basis. I believe video games, the kids are so engulfed in these games that they want to create the reality. And I believe that that's what they think. And so they are put in this position of that's going to be reality. So they're going to think it's cool and not have that understanding of what we have, which is uh, no, not cool. <laughs> Just not right. cool at all. <laughs> Our leaders are so focused on the wrong things when it comes to this issue. I mean, everyone's screaming about guns and what type of gun, and I'm not a gun person. I don't own one. I don't plan on ever owning one. I wish but no that, guns existed myself. That's not the issue. The issue is why are do we have so many 15 to 18 year olds in serious mental health problems? Let's you look know, at why that's happening. I, I had an audition once uh, they wanted they wanted to hire me, but I turned it down. But it was for a it's cartoon porn. 
And they explained to me that the stat was that the young kids, the sexual transmitted diseases are down because they believe, because the boys specifically are so engulfed in video games, they're not having sex. So that is such a paramount stat that people are looking at. This is a, long, a while ago now. This is a yeah. while ago now, which is even scarier because it's more addictive and more addictive. If we look at gambling, alcoholism, drug addiction, video game is just a big part of that, that as well. And I love the video game industry. I'm not knocking the industry. I'm knocking our, including myself, when the grandkids come, technology's there. It's much easier. I've got to work. Well, that's my fault. That's that's on me now to be able to man that. So I am grateful that my cable provider allows me to turn it off at a certain time. Mm. So they only get a certain amount of time for their phones and that's all they get. And I think that if if we as a society of, of parental influence could start engaging that way, the kids would have a better shot, I believe. You know, that's just the only one small minuscule thing that we could probably be doing to do this. But there is something wrong with being on a game for eight hours a day. There's something wrong with drinking for eight hours a day. There's something wrong with doing drugs for eight hours a day. So why would this be any different? You know, working eight hours a day, fine. But there's a paycheck coming back. A lot of these people are not making any money sitting down doing absolutely nothing. And feeding their brain. It's, it's like music. I didn't realize until being in a band, we watched the show about the eighties heavy metal. And when the eighties heavy metal got taken over by Nirvana, mm. the nineties came in, you look at the nineties kids, which is one of my, one of my children, the nineties kids, a lot of them are full of a lot of depression, a lot of suicide, a, a lot of uh, blame and reasoning and all that kind of stuff. And it gets more and more as we go down the line. But if you listen to the music generation at that time, the 80s uh, glam rock was all party, party, drugs, drugs, sex, sex, right. women, women. That's what it was all about. If you listen to the lyrics, they're, they're not that meat and potatoes. Really, no. they aren't. So we partied. It was one of the best generations. We partied our faces off. Now, all of a sudden, you go into Nirvana and, and bands that followed that. It was, you should kill yourself. You're a piece of shit. Your parents are the reason you're the way you are. And, right. and it's just, it's, it's very, music is very manipulative, just like advertising. Uh, Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola because of repetition, 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 repetition. McDonald's, repetition, repetition. Well, that's what music does. Right. That's what video games are doing. It's the same thing. It's just a different music form of music, you know? Sad. It's sad. But the one thing that would have to happen that I would wager any amount of money on will not happen is that the adults and the parents have to change how they approach the world. When the kids see their parents on the phone, you know, doing stuff, you know, nine hours a day and sitting with 15 people and they're on their phone instead of talking to people, we have to kind of back off the whole technology cell phone thing. And interesting you say that because we have another music video that's very amateur, (laughs) but we have a music, uh, saw another song we wrote. uh, I wrote this before I was even in a band actually called Digital Disease. And so I wrote this over 10 years ago. And it's just as current today as it was 10 years ago when I wrote it. And the video we produced, I showed a bunch of family members around our table playing Hungry Hungry Hippo. And then I showed, no, no, today they're all on their phones at the table. They're not communication. I showed them at the tetherball. Now they're sitting on the tetherball. They're not playing the tetherball. You know, and that's, that's where our generation has gone, unfortunately. And we all know this. We all know, again, that push button technology. And I lose my phone all the time. 
I, I'm on my computer though. So I'm guilty because, but I'm working. I'm never, I, you'll never find me hardly ever on social media. You will find my business on social media. Right. I don't have time to be lost in that world because I would rather be present in my world because I don't feel that being engulfed in a device, I'm already engulfed in a device at least eight hours a day. It's the last thing I want to do to keep you know, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to be that influence. I want to, I want to be visual. We try to do a lot of family games that's in person. Um, we watch movies, which still becomes technology. And I try to make sure we're always doing something that's more involved. Right. Important. We're all after the dopamine hit and yeah. all these things produce exactly what we want, you know, on a constant basis. And it's like, when you don't get that dopamine hit, you know where to go to get it very right. easily. So exactly. So, well, now that we solved all the world's problems, thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Jim. It's, 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 it's been, I knew it was going to be a great conversation and, and I was really looking forward to it. So thanks. Uh, thank you, Jim, so much. I appreciate that. Um, you can check out what Deb does. Just go to debsvoice.com. Or it's, it's just getmiked.com, isn't it? Yeah, get M-I-C-D, getmiked.com. Yep. And uh, anybody, like, we have our live shows, which I encourage every future or budding or pro voice talent to watch. I found it very educational. I've been in this industry a long time, and I found it so educational when we produced the first episode that we did three years ago. And we did it because of COVID. Um, we learned that right. as, as performers, we were the only ones working. Voice actors were the only performance arts working, and that was worthy of noting who we were. And so we wanted to expose our industry because, as you know, when you say you're a voice talent, people are like, a what? A what what's that? So yeah. now we're giving some more exposure to what we do. We're on the third season. I'm retiring as producer after this, just saying I'm done. I'm done. I said it was done last year. I'm done. But um, our live shows are February 1st, 8th, uh, 15th. And then we take the the winner of each of those episodes and they go on to Atlanta where we're going to fly them to Atlanta. And we're doing our live, uh, uh, our grand finale live at VO Atlanta on the opening stage for the VO conference at VO Atlanta. So this is basically a, a quick way to word this, guys. It's American Idol for voice actors. So When's the final? Our, what, what date's the final in Atlanta? Grand finale is uh, J uh, March 23rd. So we'll be on the right after the opening ceremonies on the Thursday will become our show live and then we will also stream it as well. Oh. And so you guys can catch it on twitch.tv slash get miked is a great, great place to catch the show. But if you just go to get you'll see lots of links there that will guide you there. And worthy of watching, even if you don't see the lives, by the way. So <laughs> educational to watch the auditions. Even if you can, we have 1821 auditions. For this wow. show. If you can go in and watch some of them, we assign students, you know, watch some auditions for homework. Right. And I had one, one, one of Ellie's students say the other day, she goes, I watched five and I was done. And I created a new respect for what you're doing. You guys need to learn what the decision makers go through. And this is the one of the only venues in the world that does this for you. It shows you what actors do in their auditions, which most people don't expose. It shows you poor auditions. It shows you fantastic auditions. I'm telling you, it's one of the best educations online that you could ever find for free. Really is. It's cool. It's thank cool. And like I said, it will be a legacy. There's no question about thank that. You. So <laughs> thank you again for doing this. You made it through yet another episode of The Hydrant. Well done. Big thanks to Allison Steele for episode announcing. For outstanding VO coaching and voice acting services, visit allisonsteele.com. That's Allison with a Y and Steele with no E at the end. 
And no, she is not the Nightbird. This episode was mixed and mastered by Roman Barry at Voices and Sound Studios. Visit Voices and Sound at VoicesAndSound.com and ask to see Roman's Aquarium. Shoot me an email with any comments, questions, or worthwhile recipes at BigDog at JimCooperVO.com. Next week, the steady stream of outstanding guests continue as the pack reconvenes at The Hydrant. Thank you for hanging out with us, and be sure to join us next week for more fun and foolishness 